I've always been driven by the belief that business is the most powerful vehicle of change we have at our disposal. And businesses in just about every sector are attracting customers because they successfully balance purpose and profit. Because they, like me, believe the world needs to transition to a kinder economy. And in a market where customers are making more informed decisions about how and where they spend their money, now more than ever, businesses must reevaluate what their license to operate really is. I'm Nick Hunter, CEO and founder of B Corp Creative Agency Paper Moose, and for years I've been obsessed with navigating that perfect balance between purpose and profit. We call it the mucky middle. Welcome to my podcast, where I chat with successful business leaders about how they navigate the challenges that come with finding their own balance, and hopefully learn how to be a better and more conscious business owner along the way. In this episode, I talk to Michelle Stansfeld, co-founder and CEO of Cauldron. We talk about her journey building and launching a precision fermentation company focused on solving how to feed the world's 10 billion people by 2080. This is The Mucky Middle. Well, thank you, Michelle, for joining us. Um, you, you are the CEO of Cauldron, a precision fermentation organization. Um, I guess, can you start with, just tell us a little bit about young Michelle. Like, what, what did you want to be when you grew up? Like, did you, did you think you'd be doing what you're doing now? I was on a go. I wanted to be a cardiologist. I was convinced I was going to be a cardiologist because I have a cardiac condition. And then, um, as a kid, yeah, yeah, yeah wow. I was convinced. I remember I watched all sorts of documentaries on cardiology, and I wanted to be a doctor. And so I did a biomedical science degree, thinking, oh yeah, that'll get me into medicine. And then it did the medicine entry exam, and I got ninety six percent for nonverbal reasoning. 98% for verbal reasoning and 12% for logic. So <laughs> at that point, I, I realized I probably wasn't going to be a doctor. So what did I do then? I, I followed my nose and went into pharmaceuticals, did my PhD with Pfizer, a pharmaceutical company. And from there, got into veterinary vaccines and started learning about growing bugs. That's where it all began. I started growing bugs. And then I realized the the value of microbes and what they could actually do and started working for another company, growing microbes and commercializing products from microbes. And then I started Cauldron because we needed to change up the way we do it here in Australia. Yeah. Most people probably don't know that much about uh, precision fermentation and all that sort of thing. So tell us a little bit about what Cauldron does. So precision fermentation is a, a method of making molecules. So if you think about the way that insulin is made, insulin's actually made, used to be made from pigs. They used to take it from pig pancreases and purify it. And that's what you inject. But then in the seventies, they found a way that they could have a microbe that was modified to actually create the molecule and they could just grow it in tanks. So that's a, it's really a way that they've been doing things in pharmaceuticals and even enzyme production. Now, the enzymes in your washing detergents are made from precision fermentation. So using microbes as biofactories for a molecule, um, that's precision fermentation. How we're changing it up is we're going to use it to make food. We haven't, it's been used to make enzymes and high value products for food production, but not actually high or low cost, high volume commodity products. And what Cauldron is looking to do, we have all these amazing companies in Australia, around the world who have developed technologies to create these new foods, but there's nowhere to manufacture and there's nowhere to take it from the laboratory through to the factory. And that's what Cauldron does. We take a technology, we play with it a little bit and so it's factory ready and then we build the factories. So we're building factories around Australia at the moment. Yeah, amazing. And and what was the was what was the spark or the the thing that sort of went, 
this is the this is the thing that I need to do and I need to do it now and I need to create this company. So I was working for another company called Agri Technology uh, last year and we had all these companies coming through and they had assumed that manufacturing capabilities would be there. So my bread and butter was dependent on the success of these companies and then we realised as an industry that there was nowhere for these guys to manufacture and the industry was going to fall over and therefore agrotechnology was going to fall over. So we took it, we took it upon ourselves to mm. change our business model or well, I took it upon myself to create a business that had a different business model that would provide manufacturing. So we were born out of need. Um, I've always believed that we need to find a better way to feed the world. Mm. Um, we can't continue consuming the way that we are in, in the world. So it fit perfectly into the food security bent that I've had for the last 15 years. So, mm. so I had this opportunity and just went for it. It was just weird. One day I was general manager of agrotechnology and the next minute I had a call with everyone in the industry and everyone called me and said, oh, I think you're the CEO of the next main sequence company. And I went, oh, no, no, you can't, you're kidding. You're kidding. It's not <laughs> going to happen. And then that's what happened. Main sequence and I um, co-founded Cauldron together. And so you're 12 months in. What What's kind of been what have been the surprises or the things that you wouldn't have necessarily thought would have been the challenges? What have I found the hardest is changing. As a scientist, we look for shiny things. You know, we want to understand why things happen. It's about laser focus now. Mm. And that's been the hardest bit is like, this is all you care about. You have to ignore the shiny things. Um, So it's been really, that's been a hard thing. And with a team of scientists, getting Mm. them to have that laser focus has been really challenging. And the public profile, that's been the unexpected thing um, mm. for me. I think there's been 851 articles oh, <laughs> on wow. Cauldron in the last yeah, yeah. And And I'm never home. I'm always out stakeholder management, managing. I thought, you know, I had this company, Agri-Technology, that I was managing and I was never left home. And But mm. this is just different. It's a different ball game. So the work-life it, balance and yeah. that kind of thing has changed a lot? Absolutely. But it's worth it. Mm. Absolutely love it. It's tiresome, but <laughs> <laughs> you really have to believe in it. You believe mm. in it so you can make those those sacrifices. So yeah. that the things that I thought would be the hard bits have been actually quite easy for Cauldron, but it's just all those unexpected things that you wouldn't even you think wouldn't even of. Think of. I'm going to start a company. Oh, wait a second. I'm only at home four weeks a year. Yeah, and I'm suddenly in front of the public <laughs> and having to do all these things. Two that, podcasts. Yeah, yeah, there you go, podcasts, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. And I guess how do you how do you maintain being able to sort of keep having that well of energy and keep pushing for because I you know as a business owner myself I know that you have to keep hustling and keep that momentum and keep that energy and and somehow find even in the difficult points to sort of reach down and still find that little bit of energy for the rest of your team as well. Absolutely, and I was speaking to George Pepo from Vow and. Mm. He said 12 months in or 18 months into Val, he realised that his job as CEO was to bring the energy. That's his number one job. And that was a real turning point for me where I thought, no, my job isn't to set up the fermenters or micromanage the team. My job is to get a good team around me and just bring energy. So I can can serve that at all costs because Mm. if I don't bring energy, then the the company suffers. And and so that has... That's kind of been the biggest shift from Agritech, um, your previous role in, mm. as a GM. It's sort of the CEO of this very uh, public-facing company and, and, and sort of your role has shifted quite a lot, I guess at a higher level and just focusing on the vision and less so much in the actual science itself. Is, is that sometimes difficult? Yeah. I, when I first started Cauldron, I used to go out and play with the fermenters and mm. kind of freak the team out a little bit because they were a new team. They hadn't 
seen me run the fermenters before and and making that shift, um, you know, my job is to set the vision, set the way, clear the way. That, that's my mm. job is not to <laughs> do mm. the work. And that's been an, a, an interesting change. Um, my team I had through agrotechnology, so we acquired agrotechnology when we, the existing team, they find it a bit hard that I'm not out there on the, mm. on the fermenters or I'm just not available to them. Um, mm. they find, they find that challenging, but everyone else just sees me as this person that flo- floats in and out and. The spokesperson and the dream weaver. Gets the money and the the mission setter. (laughs) It must be important to some of your employees that you actually understand what they do as well. You know, because I think there's a lot of CEOs that will come into a company that, you know, I started as a, you know, as an actor and producer, director. I've come all the way through. I've done kind of every job in this business. So I can sort of talk to people and I understand kind of what they're going through and what they're they're trying to work on and, and give them guidance in that way. Um, that must be similar for, for you in some ways? I think I can celebrate the victories with them. Yeah. Oh, and not just the victories, but the failures. Yeah. Because I've, I've done it all. Yeah. I've so you know exactly what they've gone through. I've got to turn the pump on and I know how much that hurts your heart. Yeah. When, <laughs> when you just killed six million microorganisms <laughs> because you forgot to turn on a pump. So I think I can I can empathise with them. Yeah. I, and But the, I understand that when we make big technical leaps, the importance of that and how cool that is. Mm. And I think that's really important to them. Yeah, interesting. Because it's interesting. I have other people and they're like, oh, you know, you're just growing bugs. Yeah. <laughs> they grow on your skin. It's really easy. It's, it's What we're doing is technically difficult. So it, I'm glad I can appreciate the value that they're contributing to the company. What is the difference? Like what? talk us about that, that nuance, like precision fermentation. Um, you, you talked about it a little bit before, but, yeah, for the layman, what what is – so when people think of fermentation, they think of wine yeah, or beer. and beer. And so basically even with wine, they they get the fruit and they inoculate the fruit with a yeast and, you know, they monitor some things and mm. they put them in these big tanks and, you know, sometimes they cool them, sometimes they don't, sometimes they, they stir it a little bit. We liken their tanks to, say, the Renault Clio of fermenters. <laughs> right. Um, so they monitor a couple of things. They perform ours are the F1 of fermenters. We monitor everything. We control everything to the point where we'll know how many microorganisms are in the tank at a time. Mm. We're able to tell you how old they are. We mm. can tell you how much oxygen's in there. We can tell you how much carbon or, or feedstocks in there. We can tell you what's in the off gases. Like if we are really, when you look at an F1 car and mm. what they monitor, we have the just as many graphs mm. and that's how we liken it when people compare us to wine making mm. wine making is a craft precision fermentation is a technology a very deep technology and, and how much is it like constantly changing you, you talked about you made a major breakthrough um yesterday like how, how how often is it sort of like big leaps happening because we're so early in our journey we're making big mm. big leaps precision fermentation uses different microbes for different applications if yep. you're going to make a milk protein you use this thing but if you're going to make a fat you use a different organism mm-hmm. So we're making leaps in platforms where we go, oh, we just nailed this platform and it's really exciting. As we go through the different microorganisms and and get them sorted out, I guess the technical leaps will be less in the future. It'll become like a business where you're getting your one percenters. But at the moment, the technical leaps are 90% technical leaps. Because we're so early and we're we're proving out a technology that we have, we have a technology that's a little bit different to all the other service providers in this industry. Yeah, we're making huge technical leaps, but we'll only do that for five years and then Mm. we'll become a manufacturing company. And what makes Cauldron different from the other providers? 
So when you do a fermentation, typically what you do is you put in a whole bunch of salts and a whole bunch of sugar and you put the microbe in and then you grow the microbe until there's no sugar left and then you harvest it and then you get your molecule from that. Mm. What we do is we actually continuously provide sugar to it and the salts. So our mm. our cells are kind of vampire cells. They're immortal. Like they, We hold them. Say so We'll say, oh, this bovine protein is best expressed when the cells are teenagers. Mm. We'll hold them as teenagers. Mm. We can actually hold their, their development so they're stuck at teenager and then they so go for a very So you're continually cultivating long, at that yeah. point? So what, mm. what would usually be a, a four-day fermentation cycle, we can have done out to eight months and 24 days. So we clean the fermenters less. We it's just more efficient in it's that way. It's much more well. efficient, yeah. yeah. So we can actually build smaller plants. Mm cheaper plants because we can continuously create these microbes instead of having to you'd start again and starting again yeah, every right. yeah so we can actually do it at a fifth of the cost of a typical fermentation build factories mm. which is really important in yeah. the current economic climate yes yes yes, <laughs> yes 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 and um when we were doing i guess building the brand of cauldron we, we talked a lot about um the importance of the connection with the country as well can you talk us a little bit about that Okay, so Cauldron is a regional company. It will always be a regional company. So we're not going to end up with factories in Alexandria. Mm. Um, We are a company who have to be based in the country because we need the feedstock comes from the country. So what we're doing at the moment is we have a business model where we partner with agricultural companies, existing agribusinesses, and we work with them and build companies with them in the regions. Mm. And what that allows us to do is because we're working with these companies, we can build these things quicker. We can access government funding a lot easier because we are building with businesses. We're not competing with businesses. And most importantly, we're not competing with agriculture. We're complementing mm. agricultural companies. And that's really important to me because Cauldron isn't here to replace red meat. Mm. We're not here to replace dairy. We're here because there's an emerging middle class who want more high volume, volume product, high value products. They want more protein. They want more fat. And we've got more people who want that. We're meant to have 10 billion people by 2050 and we need twice as much agriculture to be able to feed those people. So that's what we believe and that's why we're doing what we're doing. We're not here to displace agriculture. I I'm a, have a beef farm on the side mm. just in my spare time. We, we grow beef. So I'm – In all of the <laughs> spare time that you must have, yeah. <laughs> so we're certainly not competitive with conventional agriculture. We just look to – complement it and diversify it. Why do you think there has been a bit of like sensational, you know, there's been a lot of talk around, you know, that it's taking, you know, it's going to compete against the beef industry or it's going to, you know, there's been a lot of talk and and particularly with some of the other companies that we work with in this space as well. I've noticed that they've had a lot of flack from Mm. the agricultural space. So it's funny, the MLA report and the review Mm into the naming convention of meat, yeah. they actually outlined that they would not be able to keep up with increasing demand. They, they admitted to that. I think the problem is about the naming. Mm. And fortunately, that's not my immediate yeah, problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just create the ingredients. Yeah. I just <laughs> so there has been that. I think it's – I don't think it is the agricultural industries that are – causing it mm. uh, we there are some startups who have been very vocal about their intention to, to displace animals mm. in the food chain and yeah. i think that's where a lot of it stems from but we are very clear that we don't intend to displace animals i think that conf- everyone i speak in agriculture they know that they can't keep 
feed, if the world is going to get to 10 billion people by 2050, they know mm. they can't keep up. Yeah. They're trying to improve the way they're doing it, but they understand that there needs to be a new way. And the biggest investors in cultivated meat and the biggest investors in precision fermentation are existing meat and dairy companies yeah. because they're looking to supply, firm up their supply chains. Can you just kind of share us a little bit about the long-term vision of Cauldron? Like we, were, when we were talking about the, the imagery of Cauldron and all that kind of thing, we were talking about little cauldrons sort of popping up all over the world. Um, where, where, has anything changed in the last sort of 12 months? Absolutely not. We still believe we can build these smaller, smarter facilities that can be co-located with existing agribusinesses. So Originally, we, we had these visions of stainless steel tanks in the fields, but maybe now they're next to, <laughs> they're next to the dairy company or they're next to the, the sugar mill. Yeah. That's the vision we still have. And, you know, you've done an amazing job with the branding. So originally we were like, oh, we'll have these little tanks, um, but now they're going to have big cauldrons on them and the, and the facilities will have a huge brand on them. Yeah, but awesome. they will be um, co-located in these regional locations. At this point, they'll be small and there'll be multiple facilities and we're looking to do that because there's so many states who are looking to mm. invest in this kind of technology so we're looking to build them with with actual state governments yeah and the importance is to pair it with i guess the, the feedstock for the cauldrons is that right mostly yeah. um that's that's our ultimate is for us to make a ton of protein we need mm. we, we need 10 ton of of sugar or yeah or starch. So it makes sense for us to ship the protein later when it's smaller and not ship the feedstock. So that's ultimately the first co-location opportunity. But then we also look at wineries. You look at wineries and they have a whole bunch of equipment that we can actually use mm. as well. So we're looking to, we're talking to wineries about how we can co-locate with wineries and, and utilize their, their capital equipment that, that in, is in, in downtime. In downtime. So, yeah. and then, then we're even talking to companies that have Green power. Green power is really important to us as well. Mm. So if there's someone has a cogen plan on their site, we're just looking at relocating, uh, co-locating with those guys. So we're looking at any sort of synergy mm. that can allow us to work quickly, but also drive down the costs. And and that's kind of the key challenge right now, isn't it? It's to try and get the price point as as low as possible. Absolutely. So there's still a a large step to make mm. to be competitive with normal normal protein. Yep. It's not that we just have to drive down. The, for this to be, reach parity, you know, we need to drive costs down, but you see the cost of protein coming up coming yeah. up as well. So it, It'll be it, somewhere it, to meet in the middle. Yeah, absolutely. But scale will provide that to these companies. Mm. At the moment, there's just not enough steel in the ground for them to have the scale that they require to get those costs of goods, and that's what Cauldron's about. And we do we work with them from the start all the way through to the, mm. to the factory, so it's a – we call it the valley of death in technology where you, <laughs> you can't get it out of ESIRO into a factory. We we do that. Yeah. We're the valley of death company. The value of death company. <laughs> I love that. Is that on, on a wall somewhere? <laughs> I'm thinking that um, you guys might not like that that catchphrase as much as fermentation unlocked. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, 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 fermentation unlocked is a slightly uh, maybe more consumer-facing. <laughs> <laughs> the branding was great, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell us a little bit about that process, like because that's a whole other ball game that you, you probably wouldn't have gone through before either. Yeah. That was 
it was an interesting undertaking. Like we sat here in the Paper Moose offices and mm. I think it was like the first thing I'd done post-COVID yeah, right. almost. It was only yeah. like I hadn't been in a room with that many people in a long time. Yeah. And I think, I don't know how many people did Paper Moose and Sling and Stone. There's probably 10 of you. Yeah, there's probably 10 of us all up, yeah. And it was just amazing the way you could just draw out what really mattered because I, the way I had the vision I had, like we're like, oh, it's a cauldron and it's all very mystical and very cutting edge and no one wants to know it but you know you guys really brought it around to it's actually quite friendly it's it's we're just unlocking it was at that unlocking and that Mm, puzzle piece yeah it was just incredible how we got there was i mean it's it's exciting to work with people like yourself and 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 scientists that have like incredibly technical minds and 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 for us to then try and simplify it into the most uh, easy to understand way for the general public because yeah. it is a high, you know, it's a complicated thing that you do, and and I think there's a lot of um, yeah, it's such sort of cutting edge, deep technology that people want to understand kind of what it is and and where it's going and where where the future of protein could be, but um, often there's sort of barriers in place. Yeah, if I'd done it, you know, there'd be a stainless steel tank with algorithms on the side, yeah. like <laughs> kind of like you think about a beautiful mind, how we had yeah, all yeah. that. That's kind of how I, because that's that's how we think. We're like, we're so special. We're the smartest people in that the world. That sounds cool. <laughs> Perhaps you should think about how the the rest of the world will perceive it. You're not selling this to scientists. You're selling this to the rest of the world and to the agricultural community. And it was just, it's amazing to make that switch. It was great to watch it evolve. Has there been a difference in in pitching it with that, some of that language and some of those tools? Like, have you noticed any difference in that? Absolutely. Um, I think we, just the way that we explain the value proposition until then, I think we were still thought, you know, we're going to build these companies by ourselves. But we went through that thing about how this is a regional company and I'm like, oh, we should be working with the regions and, mm. and things like that. So it actually changed not just the way we pitch but probably the business model as well. But, yeah, we certainly use some of the things, some of the – we've got our word you guys came up with, which was the firma, firmaculture. Firmaculture, yeah. Which we try to make happen. But I feel like Regina George out of, like, trying to make fetch happen. <laughs> <laughs> Look, you got to persist. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't seen it in any other articles other than the moving ones into that we- <laughs> the lexicon of the human language. Is, it's not a, a, a one day thing. <laughs> Firmaculture. We'll get there. Or firmifacturing. Yeah. Firmifacturing. Firmicu- yeah, yeah, yeah. There was lots of F's. firming. Yeah. Yeah. I um, wanted a shirt that actually said firmifacture, firmiculture, firming, and all the words, and the other F, because you know <laughs> we're known for our language. But um, apparently, that was not appropriate. Oh no. Come on, within within closed doors. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and because of the mission and what you're doing, do you, how do you find people? Do you, do you find uh, employees quite easily? Like they're very values aligned. Are they primarily, you know, scientists still? And what are, what are the types of people that you're sort of surrounding yourself with? We're finding people are approaching us because of our mission, but also we're doing pretty cool, some pretty cool stuff. So we're yeah. not actually, we thought we'd have trouble getting people out to Orange, mm. but um, we're not having trouble getting scientific team out there because they can see the vision and, you know, Orange isn't a bad place. No, beautiful Plenty place. Plenty of good food and wine. And, and housing prices are probably a little bit cheaper than Sydney. Yeah, they've, they've <laughs> gone up, but they're still much yeah. cheaper. <laughs> Absolutely, cost of living is a lot lower out in, in Orange. Yeah. So, but at the moment we're trying to find forklift drivers and things like that because mm. we have a mini factory. So yeah, of course. they're the people who are hard to find. Interesting. Yeah. So, But the scientific team, have, we've been very fortunate. We've actually taken a fair few people out of pharmaceutical who mm. actually, you know, get sick of just 
doing the same thing and not yeah. allowed to make it, make any changes. So we're getting a fair few people out of that who want to make a difference in the world. So that's exciting. Yeah, awesome. What are your feelings on uh, – because there's been a lot of discussion around uh, alt-protein recently and, um, you know, beyond and all, all kind of a bit of strife that they're in. You know, I know you don't deal with that sort of side of things, but it, it would impact you. Absolutely. Kind of, yeah. I guess what, 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 what are you kind of – thoughts on on how to unlock that element yeah so market risk is cauldron's biggest risk even though we don't market yeah if our customers can't sell the product then we don't have customers and i think this smaller smarter facility really Mm. placed that if you look at beyond and impossible impossible have spent i don't know a billion dollars on their manufacturing Mm. beyond had to do their own manufacturing as well and it's cost a lot of money and that's really hard to build a business when Mm. you've had to spend that much on manufacturing capacity So that's what we're looking to help solve for and that we can provide these companies with dedicated manufacturing, which is what they require. I don't think it's any fault of those early companies. They just literally had nowhere to go and they had to learn everything. Mm. And we're hoping that we can solve that for them in the future. So I guess and I guess the key element there is also um, uptake from from people and human beings. You know, it, it is still a little bit in the weird science space. Mm. And I think we need to make sure that it lands in kind of the warm fuzzies and they're totally acceptable for, for human beings to sort of, what do you think needs to happen for that? Yeah, we that can't, the market can't be dependent on progressive population in San Francisco. It needs to be for the broader community. I think there's a lot of work going into food safety at the moment mm. to demonstrate that these these molecules are bio-identical, that mm. you know, they're exactly the same protein that comes out of the cow or exactly the same protein that comes out of the chicken. But we didn't, we'd need to do the work and we need to prove to the, the population that it's safe. And there's a lot of work going into that at the moment. I think that'll get us a long way. And I think what's going to happen is people aren't, and it's not from design, but people aren't going to be aware that they're actually eating fermented proteins. They, mm. They'll find their ways through ingredients companies. These guys want to sell to ingredients companies who are doing food formulation for airlines and that sort of food service mm. thing. So being able to prove to ingredients companies that it's safe, that it's efficacious, so it actually mm. does what it says. So if you're looking at egg proteins, it has to be able to make a meringue or it has to be able to to bind things together. I think once that once that's done, I think a lot of, It'll become out of pure need. Mm. Like these ingredients companies, they'll they'll start their supply supply chains will start to dwindle, and mm. then they'll have to start bringing things in. So it might be won't be necessarily the the rebel whopper that's yeah. going to change the industry and people buying that from Hungry Jacks. It's going to be supply. My belief mm. is that it's going to be supply chain demands for big food manufacturers that yeah. will bring this into the like an egg protein in a pre-mixed cake mixture or something like that and th- things that don't re- you wouldn't even think of what the origins of this generic bag of things is <laughs> you know no, like, exactly yeah yeah yeah, yeah it's interesting because a lot of people when you look at milk a lot of people think you know what you're drinking is what comes out of the cow it's mm. certainly not the case it goes that milk goes to the dairy factory it's completely pulled apart fats go one way proteins go one way Water goes another way and then it's reassembled as as the milk we know today. Dairy companies are looking to just go, okay, if there's not enough protein in the milk, we'll just put these additional, e- things, in additional things in it. So it's going to be – I think it will be bare necessity and, you know, people are investing in us because they believe the next wars will be over food. Mm. They're not going to be over fuel. Mm. They're going to be over food and that's why people are looking to invest in this sort of thing. Yeah, it's interesting. And uh, where have you seen the biggest uptake 
is it, uh, like I guess Asia Pacific is that kind of the the most progressive regulatory region is Singapore. Singapore, yeah, which plays to us perfectly because yeah. Singapore can't do precision fermentation because yeah. they, they don't, don't have, have the, the land and they don't have the sugar, and so it, it works perfectly with us. And uh, but also the US. There's a, a lot of progress in the US. I think a lot of the market demands coming out of the US. It's just a matter of making sure the regulatory hurdles are overcome in the US. Yeah, interesting. Is that is that probably the primary, t- like when do you think the tipping point will be? I think the tipping point will be when things become scarce or, or the economy too expensive. Things are going to become too expensive. And there's I, I read somewhere by 2030 only 1% of the population is going to less than 1% are going to be able to afford animal-derived meat. Yeah, wow. That's what we're working towards. Mm. We're not working towards we're going to have a market in two years. Like Our investors no. know that this is a long ter- like a long game. Yeah. Um, so I think we're, we are talking about 2030, 2035. Is that some of the maybe the, the issues that some of these startups have found because they have invested a huge amount of money and their investors need to see a return on that, but it's actually going to take some time for us to hit that tipping point. Mm, yeah, and look, deep tech investment, it's a 10-year investment. Yeah. Anyone who thinks that they're going to get – well, my understanding, I am not a deep tech investor, but my yeah. understanding is, you know, you're in this for 10 to 15 years. Mm. That's your reality. But these guys, to be able to raise money, need to make the next leap, and the next leap is we can actually sell this stuff. And that's the challenge for startups at the moment is – is we know that the market's coming, but it's a matter of being able to just progress enough to keep mm. the company alive until until that critical point. Yeah, it's super interesting. And how how much? What is the responsibility of government to sort of support these sorts of things? We're seeing investment in in other regions. You look at Singapore's mm. thirty by thirty, thirty percent of their food needs to be from of protein needs to be from non-animal derived sources by mm. twenty thirty. We're seeing a lot of progressive governments around the world. Looking at food security, they know they can see this coming. Australia doesn't because it does. It goes. It's counter to what we say. You know, mm. we were a vast. What's the national anthem like? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We've got plenty to share, and and that's that's our brand. So the mm. last thing the government wants to seem to be doing is future scarcity mindset. Yeah, yeah, scarcity mindset or or planning for a scarce future. And when you don't have a policy that is progressive, if mm. something happens, you're going to just pour money into. The existing industry supporting the existing yeah, yeah yeah so that's that's how we're seeing it come to fruition in Australia and it is my responsibility to talk to the governments about these sorts mm. of things and and that's what we're working to do we're seeing the states have been really progressive um, they're looking to because they look at jobs and mm. growth and they realize a lot of states have realized that they're very dependent on mining and they know social license will disappear yeah. before the coal disappears so they're looking to transition out of that and And being a regional company that helps yeah so that's what we're getting a lot of uptake from the Mm. states who are looking to trans transition industries out of like the current space we're doing a feasibility and moving building the first cauldron in Mackay. the palaszczuk government's like supported that and if you look at the Mackay region they have 70 years of metallurgic coal but they believe or some people believe they only have social license to mine it for 20 years. Mm. So they're already looking at what do we have in the region that we can use other than coal, and they have sugarcane. Yeah. So they're like, well, let's look at utilising that for the new industry. So it's the Biofutures campaign in Queensland, in far north Queensland, that yeah, we're amazing. working with. So it's interesting. They've, that and Western Australia are looking at the same thing in the Collie region. So it's an interesting time, but we're not getting a federal. When you say what are the government responsibilities, we're not getting support from 
federal government at the moment. It's really the states who are looking at jobs and growth. Yeah, interesting. Because yeah. you'd think that there'd be a massive export opportunity in that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But I think it's for the federal government to support it, they need that's where you get this competitive tension with agriculture. Mm. The federal governments really are supportive of conventional agriculture. They get a lot of advocacy from Live animal export yeah, and all of that sort of thing. So, I mean, that's going to be another issue in the social license as well at, at some point, whereas exporting protein in, what would it be, in tanks? or no, it would be literally dried white powder. Dried white powder, wow. <laughs> in, in paper sacks. In paper sacks. 20 kilo paper sacks. Amazing. That's what we're looking at exporting. Yeah. So yeah. everyone says, oh, you know, exporting that is really expensive, but compared to exporting a cow, it's, oh, no. it's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow, it's amazing. So it would be like almost just like exporting grain or anything like that. Yeah. Exactly right. We're just... Yeah, but a high-value protein. Yeah, high-value protein. You know, talking about going back to sort of like the shifts in your work-life balance and and the role, like how have you found managing that? I love... Yeah, I'm still loving the travel. So 140 flights last year. Wow. Lots of frequent flyers. Again, it's about energy. Mm. Like I I spend a lot of time in Queensland, Mm. love Brisbane, Love Mackay, love them up there a lot. But again, it's conserving energy. It's hard work traveling and it's hard work, especially with people who don't understand the high growth mindset. You know, you wake up at one o'clock in the morning or sending text messages or messages mm. that they don't understand that this is what I'm doing and this is my everything at the moment. Yeah. And that's what I have to do. It's interesting when you, you've gone from being a wage slave mm. and I've always, always put myself to like dedicated myself to work very much, but this is just a different ball game. It actually helps with family and friends when you're actually invested because they're like, oh, well, you're actually going to gain something from this. You're not just making another yeah. person rich. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah. So you think it's easier to communicate it to family in some ways? Yeah, it that, is actually. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That, that. Why do you rich, work so hard? Yeah, well, why do you, yeah. I'm super, I'm actually invested in it and it's mine and it's, yeah. They're like, oh, okay, well, if you stand to make some money out of it, then Sunday <laughs> afternoons are negotiable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is there a switch off, like, or or is it just kind of twenty four seven, always on at this current point? Because it's it is early. Since I've got a great exec team around me, in the mm. last couple of months, I have yeah. been able to switch off, getting more than two hours sleep a night at the moment, which is excellent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'm a CEO of a startup, high growth startup. There is no switching off. Yeah. You Even when you're taking time out, it, it's always in the back of your mind. You just don't show it outwardly. You don't. Just keep it and keep remember it in your brain and text it when people aren't looking. Yeah, Danny will always say at dinner or something, uh, "You in a moose hole?" <laughs> like, I'll just sort of make an expression. Something's ticking over in my brain, uh, and I'll sort of have to snap out of it. I'm oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. You yeah, know, absolutely. Try and be here. You know, um, <laughs> I ride dirt bikes. Um, is that your is that your happy place to yeah. sort of get well, away, yeah. turn off your brain to something else? If you're thinking about anything else, you end up in a tree. Yeah, so <laughs> it's a really. <laughs> It's that's the sort of thing mm. that the only thing that can get you to yeah. to stop, I think. And you'll find that a lot of execs in these sorts of teams do crazy things like dirt biking or they, they train. They're mm. they're all buffers mm. or get out because <laughs> they just push themselves so hard physically because that's the only way you can switch your switch your mind off. I haven't hit that physical thing yet, but <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I, I ride my bike, but, <laughs> but what, what do you think is the thing that people underestimate being an entrepreneur? I think some people get it when they're getting into it, but that transition from being passive employee, even if you were the hardest working mm. employee for a company, you're still passive. Mm. Um, it's that 
all encompassed. Like there is nothing else mm. mindset. And people say, you know, work-life balance. So I said, was that a women in VC thing the other day? And they're like, oh, how do I raise children and be the CEO of a startup company? Again, I don't have children. So mm. um, how do I do that? And you're like, well, you have sometimes you have to choose, if mm. you know what I mean. If you are raising children, like there's amazing people like Anna Altachi at Nourish, and I don't know how the hell she does it. She's got small kids. She's a founder of Nourish. Mm. She does it all. But you have to be all in. It's mm. just all in. There's just... I guess there's no way to explain it until you're an entrepreneur. And, I, and you've obviously, you get it. I can tell that yeah. <laughs> your eyes have a glaze over. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, you're all in. I, that's what people don't understand. Yeah. You say, oh, I'm going to do this, but, you know, it's going to be, yeah, I might have to work seven to seven, but it's the, between the other seven to seven when it's just it's sirens in, of, in your head. It's always in the back all, of your yeah. mind, yeah. And, and just the urgency, yeah. being in a high-growth startup. There mm. is no, okay, well, we're just going to sit Sit where we are for twelve let's, months and see what happens. Yeah, let's just yeah. because the investors don't allow for that. Mm. So yeah, it's, that that pressure is. Uh, it's for, exciting though. It's exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah awesome. Yeah, you love it. I can see. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I always think about. I, you know, I I have three kids and my first child is Paper Moose, you know, <laughs> and the other two, uh, you know, slightly a little bit neglected sometimes because of because of the older child, um, but. Yeah, it is. It is a struggle to sort of find that balance, and you know, I, I do. You know, I swim and I try and switch off, and and and, and you know, creating a, a great culture with people around you that you trust is obviously key to that as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. When I was doing this by myself at the start, well, I never did it by myself. I always had main sequence and mm. some some great partners there. It's a different game when you have some people that mm. an exec team or people around and you that you can trust. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, absolutely. I don't know how people can do it alone. Yeah, yeah. And I that's the thing. That I can't. Either. Yeah, and I understand why people um, bootstrap. Mm. I understand they don't want to give away equity. Yeah. But I just I can't couldn't imagine it doing it without this team. And I guess was it probably the speed at, at which you could grow. Is is far more accelerated by having immediately that that ex- expertise and ex- I mean, Josh and I built this business over twelve years with absolutely zero knowledge of how to do anything in advertising or production, and and you know made a hell of a lot of mistakes on the way. But if I was to do it tomorrow, it would be you know it would take twelve months. Yeah, and that, I think that's a really important thing about having active investors. They've actually seen this before. Yeah, like having feel that main sequence around is amazing and Chris from from Horizons, they just kind of, they've seen it before. They they go, oh, don't go down that path. You've mm. seen that before. And that's really important. And then having the exec team around like David, my co-founder, who's invested in these technologies before, they, they're kind of, they're great when it comes to the strategy yeah. and yeah. getting things going. I couldn't imagine doing it by myself. I, I, it wouldn't yeah. be successful. I, oh, I think yeah. you just need sometimes those, those confidence that you can have a talk and you know, late night at, at night when everything is going to shit and, and to be able to have that conversation and just go. You can't have that with your the spouse or you with your, your mum or, or your, your uncle. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you don't want to have it with no, an employee. No, yeah. With a, a flap jacket, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's it. Yeah, unfortunately um, we are sometimes the flap jacket. <laughs> so um, yeah. especially in Australia we're really fortunate. Like pretty much all of the startup CEOs in this space, we all know each other mm. and if we need to have a chat, we'll have a chat. We've got, I've got so many people on speed dial that it's... That's awesome. And I guess you are all working in a space that, you know, it's a story of all, all boats will rise. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's the thing. Like, let's build the industry now and compete yeah. later. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> then you can become enemies. But, then we'll uh, become enemies yeah. once we're all successful. Yeah, that's fine. Moderately successful. Yeah. <laughs> 
you, you mentioned um, uh, other female founders, and and it is kind of there aren't a huge amount of men. How do you find that? Like, it is an interesting interesting thing. I I don't put that much um, focus on it. I've mm. never felt, and maybe it's because I'm in STEM, I'm in science. I've never felt that being a woman has detracted by, like, has influenced my ability to proceed. So if you look at the current, say, precision fermentation or, or even cellular agriculture in Australia, there's probably four women founders mm. in all of the companies. But it's not, not like we have a team or a group. Mm. We get together and we talk about it. Sort of <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard being a founder. I think you have to just be a founder yeah. ultimately when it comes to these things. It's really important to to – VC funds, mm. those sorts of things, because diversity and ESG are really important. Mm. But I, and our fundraise was the second highest fundraise from a female founded company. So that was mm. exciting. And, you know, you go, you know, the only time I ever sit there and go, wait a second, this is important is when social media, mm. um, I had a post, a, a, an article in the local paper and I used the word girl boss or boss okay. lady. Yeah. And the social media blew up. Why can't we just call you a boss? Why do you have to be a boss lady? And I'm like, well, you come and work in an industry where, you know, 2% of investment actually goes to female founded companies. So you're pushing shit uphill already. Yeah. And like that's at those points of time when people who aren't in the arena start criticizing, saying, why are you calling yourself a boss lady? It was a off the cuff remark. But, yeah, yeah. And you'd sit up there and say, oh, well, actually things are stacked against me. Mm. And I, I don't feel it. I haven't ever experienced, but the data is there, and I've spoken to this many times. Like two percent of VC funds go to female-founded companies. Like in the last twelve months, I think the the rate at which the investments have dropped seventy percent or something in female-founded companies. The data is there, yeah. and you know, sometimes it's when people actually come at me mm. for for owning it that that's when I that's when I realize what we've actually achieved. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, but day to day, I don't sit there and go, "I'm a female founder." Right? No, yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. You're just a founder. Yeah, but I guess there is that. Um, yeah, you, you are leading the way in in a many ways, and 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 being visible. You have to be what you can't see. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely, that's right. and yeah, that's yeah. and that's important to me. Yeah, because you you being visible will, you know, ignite that possibility for everyone else. Well, hopefully, the next generation will yeah. have a thousand companies in Australia, and five hundred of them will have hundred female founders. Yeah, like, yeah, but yeah. it's not going to be probably a, a more than already. That. Yeah. <laughs> What what advice would you give to to people that are thinking about um, starting their own thing? I, I put a post the other day. If you're not willing to be interrogated, mm. you're not willing to have your your model or your vision questioned. This mm. isn't this isn't the game for you. If you sit around and play with your belly button and <laughs> expect it all to happen, this is not for you. Mm. Um, if you think that you're going to be able to watch a TV show. And just watch a TV show and not be thinking about work. This is not for you. Mm. If you want more than four hours sleep a night, it's probably not for you. It's <laughs> <laughs> a really grossy picture. But if you, <laughs> but if you want to be in charge of your own destiny, this yeah. is for you. Like, but you have to go all in yeah. for it to work because, and that's ultimately the the freedom. I talk about all these horrible things, but the freedom from being in charge, being in ch- like capable of changing your future mm. and changing the world, and changing is, the world. Yeah. is worth every second. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back, mm. and I'm already thinking about what's next. So, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> once you've made the leap, there's no turning back, and yeah. you just you run. get it done. You just yeah. keep running, yeah. keep running, and when your legs 
stop you just keep running yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. and, and i guess what what would you say to young michelle you know t- 20 years ago what would you say to her knowing what you know now keep questioning things keep being curious mm. curiosity is everything mm. and keep backing yourself keep being confident keep being confident in your questioning and confident in your ability and and things know what you want and where how you want to where you want to go and you'll get there but that it's curiosity is everything for me like you can't don't settle love that for anything here's to the curious yes thank you so much for joining us in uh, the bunker it's uh, that awesome. has been wonderful Thank you everyone for listening to The Mucky Metal. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed having the conversation. And if you did, then drop us a review on iTunes or wherever you happen to be listening. We'll see you next month for another episode, but in the meantime, we hope you'll keep walking that fine line between profit and our planet. The Mucky Metal is a Paper Moose production. Music and sound mix by Caleb Jacobs.